Thanks be to God for worship, for music, for voices that proclaim the gospel. Amen. Our second lesson today comes from the gospel according to Luke. I'm reading from the 19th chapter. Listen, keep listening for God's word. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried down and was happy to welcome Jesus. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He's gone to, the, to be the guest of one who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. And then Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today... Salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. So the zebras have been in the news again. I'm not talking about those uh, animals with stripes that roam the plains of Africa. I'm talking about those guys in the striped shirts with the hat and the whistles around their necks who try to maintain the rules and keep the game of football safe in the National Football League. Those zebras, NFL referees, have been in the news so much lately. See, back in June, the NFL and the referees had a falling out. It was all about salary and benefits. It was labor versus management. Unable to reach an agreement, the NFL locked the referees out and the NFL began its 2012 season without them. There was a month of preseason games with replacement refs and all through the first three games in the full season with replacement refs and there have been Missed calls and complaints from players and screaming from coaches. The replacement refs, you see, uh, were calling bad penalties and making incorrect calls and placing players in danger. They are there so that coaches and players get it right, this game of football. They're there for safety and fairness. And here they are becoming the prime subject of the whole NFL season the number one sport in America. This whole debacle maybe came to a pinnacle this past Monday night during the Monday night football game on the final play of the game. As the time ran out, Russell Wilson from Richmond, who went to collegiate, threw a pass into the end zone and one ref signals a touchdown and the other ref signals an interception. The touchdown stood, the game was over, but everyone decided enough is enough. 
On Thursday of this week, a new deal between the Zebras and the league has been reached. And with today's games, this afternoon, the real referees are back and the replacement referees can get back to whatever they were doing before refereeing NFL games, right? Well, across all these weeks and months, the stories continued about the Zebras, the referees, because they're there to get it right and help the game be right and Yet there were so many bad calls and incorrect plays and the safety and fairness was in jeopardy. It was not a good game. It's not a good game if you can't get it right. The coaches are mad, the players are in danger, and the fans, well, they're dissatisfied. I'm talking about all of this uh, as a way to help us think about something else. Our God and money hoping that we might get it right as God's people. Okay, so now maybe you want to throw a penalty flag because because I'm using the word money from this pulpit. For some, this is not a word that we want to mix up in the sanctuary. It goes from preaching to meddling. And you might say off limits, out of bounds unfair. No one likes talking about money. But I'm also continuing this long sermon series, preaching sermons on topics that you want sermons about. Here's the message. Dear Alec, can you help me sort out this whole subject of giving money to the church? I know I should be giving, but how much? And does my giving really matter? No one ever really talks about that. Thanks so much. End quote. Just like the NFL can't get by without the best referees, we cannot get by without talking about money and faith and Jesus. Jesus, see, has lots to say about money. And Jesus hopes that we're going to get it right. As one theologian puts it, if you took scissors to the Bible and you cut out every phrase or sentence or paragraph in the whole Bible that talks about money, you're going to have a very small Bible because Jesus and the whole Bible talk about money a lot. Whenever money is involved, faith is involved. And whenever money starts talking, It begins to shout, often louder than honesty, louder than integrity, and louder than faithfulness. So Jesus speaks often about money, and we too have to talk about it. Our story today is about Zacchaeus. For many of us, he's familiar, perhaps from Sunday school and that nice little song, you may recall it, the wee little man who climbed up in a tree. But this is not just a wee little story about a wee little man who climbed up in a tree. It is another story where Jesus speaks to one of his primary themes. The problem of money, our faith, and following Jesus. Zacchaeus' life, like our lives, was tied deeply to money. He was rich because he was a tax collector. 
More than that, he was the chief tax collector in that region. He had lots of money. And people didn't like him for that. Of all the inhabitants of the village of Jericho, why is is Zacchaeus the one who is remembered here? Why is it that Jesus wants to go to Zacchaeus' house? Why is he, 2,000 years later, the one we're talking about today? Well, this story is another of Jesus' teachings in hopes that we might get it right about money and about money's place in our lives as we follow Jesus. Look at what happens to Zacchaeus in this story. When he encounters Jesus, even in his wealth and even in his detachment, because he's behind the crowds and peering over, his heart is changed. His generosity flows when he encounters Jesus. It is one sentence and one glance from the master, and Zacchaeus says this, Master, I'm giving half of my property to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to repay them four times over. Jesus' love and radical grace towards Zacchaeus, the tax collector, is confirmed in radical and wonderful generosity from Zacchaeus. If that's not a conversion, there is no such thing. If that is not the transformation that God seeks in all of us, I'm not sure where we can find it. Today, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house. From selfish to selfless. From stingy to generous. From peering over the crowds and being detached and uncertain to participation in the kingdom and tending to the poor and the needs of others, unwavering commitment, that is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus' salvation didn't just affect his heart, its effect in his society, domestic life, social life, economic life, all around him. Jesus, see, wants us to get it right and become not detached bystanders, but more and more committed followers. Not folks who hold tightly and worry about what we have, but people who live with sincerity and love and generosity And it stretches beyond ourselves to the community, to the city, to the whole world. So let's talk a bit about money. First, the church, this church, and its money. This church has money for God's work because through the years since 1845, when this church was founded, and each week to the present, this church has money. Because faithful people like you and me have given money and resources to God's important work through the ministry, the vitality of Second Presbyterian Church in downtown Richmond. The most recent financial documents 
kept and maintained by our CPA bookkeeper, Terry Sherman, and which you are welcome to look at at any time, and which are reviewed, by the way, every month in line item detail by the Budget and Finance Committee and the session. These financial documents show that the church has about $5 million in assets. That sounds like a lot. That is a lot. We must say we are blessed. We live with great gratitude as God's people who are blessed, and we seek to use our blessings to be a blessing because those funds have been donated by members past and members present generously for God's important work that happens in the vibrant and important ministries of Second Presbyterian Church in downtown Richmond. But hear this too. Almost all of that, more than four million of it, is the church's endowment. And most of that four million actually is tied up, pledged, held with the primary income from those funds going to pay off the debt on the major renovations on this sanctuary that began about 13 years ago when the walls and the roof were just about to fall down. Many of you know about this. This endowment is pledged to pay off that debt as well as the major renovations that happened just a few years ago on the interior of the Virginia building, the 100-year-old building that sits on the corner there. We work hard to manage those funds well so that the income from that money can rid the church of its debt sometime in the year 2014. At no point in the very recent years has the congregation asked to step up, been asked to contribute to pay off the debt because it's been paid for by that endowment. Those critical renovation costs that stabilize this place are being tended to by the endowment's income. We are blessed to have such resources. And perhaps this has kept us from talking incessantly about money needs so we can continue with ministry needs and what God is calling us to do in downtown Richmond and across the world. And... Hear this too. Like all endowments, the money is for the future posterity, the future faithfulness and effectiveness of this church into the end of time. Now, this church also has an annual budget in 2012, this year, of $964,000. This money comes from the annual stewardship efforts and faithfulness of the congregation. I want to say thank you again for that faithfulness. Thank you for that. When we take up the offering each and every week in worship, it generates the main money for the church's annual budget, that $964,000. Almost all that we do here, week in, And week out at Second Presbyterian Church is sustained by the annual budget and the faithful devotion of the congregation. We maintain this fine facility. We pay our electric bills. We pay our water bills. We pay our heating and cooling bills. We do expensive repairs through the property council's budget. 
We pay our personnel budget to help us do ministry to pastors, Christian educators, music professionals, office staff, sextons. Not a big staff, but all for helping us do work, worship and work, ministry and faithfulness in this congregation. We pay for church school. We pray for youth programs. We support worship. We maintain the kitchen. We maintain an office that's up-to-date and expensive to run. We maintain fellowship programs and youth programs. And we spend lots of money on ministries that serve others, like our weekly lunch program on Mondays, like our care for the homeless and the medic- those with medical needs or mental needs, our support for our daycare center, our partnerships with many other agencies in downtown Richmond and many partnerships through our presbytery and through the Presbyterian Church USA that takes us to ministries around the world. We support mission co-workers and we heard from one, from one last week all of this helping, challenging us, doing God's work, spreading God's light and hope and purposes across the city and the world. Thank you. Thank you, congregation, for your commitments that allow us to do this. Almost all of our funds in that 964000 annual budget come from your pockets, congregational commitments, our pledges, our gifts that are received through the offering. We seek to commit our lives to God's work. It takes all of us. We are seeking to change lives here We are seeking to be good and faithful servants with generosity and commitment. In fact, we're striving to get it right and follow Jesus. So what about your money and my money? What about your own conversion or transformation like we see happening to Zacchaeus? We're not merely entering into an annual membership drive like the National Public Radio is doing or your college is going to do or some other agency is going to do. We're not doing that. We are involved like Zacchaeus in an encounter with Jesus. What if our encounter with Jesus, mine and yours, led to the kind of conversion and transformation that Zacchaeus had? How would that look? When Zacchaeus made his statement um, to give so much money away and repay those who, who he had defrauded four times over and give to the poor, Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. The actual word salvation from the Hebrew has to do with creation or enlarging of space. The creation of space, the enlargement of space. God does this. God recovers spaciousness. God gives enlargement and gives spaciousness to hearts and to people. Instead of being cramped and tight and worried and fearful, salvation, spaciousness, enlargement. In the Bible, 
Salvation has to do with land. Go to the promised land and there you'll be able to prosper. Space. In the Bible, salvation has to do with opportunities. New beginnings like after exile. It has to do with Jesus. I've come that you may have life. Life in abundance. Spaciousness. He gives space. Freedom from sin. Freedom from death. Victory. Hope. Salvation. And it's meant to lead somewhere. It's meant to lead toward extreme generosity and extreme commitment like Zacchaeus. Jesus wants us to get it right so that salvation comes to our house and to our neighborhood and to the world. The Bible's beginning point to guide us in thinking about our response to salvation, about generosity, our response in commitment flowing from salvation, the Bible's ongoing guide has been a tithe. Ten percent of what we receive, we strive to give generously to God's work, give to support God's purposes. Ten percent is a lot less than what Zacchaeus committed. Ten percent has been Christianity's helpful and guiding goal for followers. But recent data published this week in the Presbyterian Outlook indicates that American Christians, that would be those who say they go to worship very often, those who consider themselves faithful disciples, those people continue to give not close to 10%, but less than 2%. We, the richest people on the earth, continue to find other things to do with our money than give it to God's purposes. We, the wealthy and the most blessed who've experienced salvation, spaciousness, continue to long for salvation that comes with generosity and commitment that really and truly shapes us. So how much should we give? In fact, that was the question I got in the email. How much should I give? Can you help me with that? I think the tithe is the right goal. I do. It's been mine and Ginger's goal as long as we've been married and seeking to serve. If we were a church where tithing was the norm, we could really and truly be a light in the city. Think of it. Maybe tripling or quadrupling what we're doing now. If you don't know what percentage you give to God's work, then... Why not do some quick math? How much do you bring in per month from whatever sources you have? And how much do you give to God and to God's work in the church each month? At least learn what it is, the percentage. And if it's far short of this tithe, then take some steps to close the gap. Can't do it overnight maybe, but maybe take some steps to close that gap. Keep working on that. It's about salvation, spaciousness for yourself and for others, spacious living for yourself and for this community and this city and the world. Living as a disciple, living generously gives you space. 
gives you life and makes your life a life of giving space and salvation to others. Take a step toward sacrificial giving. That's what gives life. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Look at the percentage. Strive to raise it toward the tithe. Here's the main point. The more we each give, the more together we can do in downtown Richmond for God and for God's purposes. The more generous and spacious and committed we are as God's people here, the more our lives change. Our lives change. And the more we can change lives on these streets in this city, the more light we can cast across the world. There's a true story about a young attorney. He had made um, some uh, financial gains himself, and he decided that he was going to give $1.5 million to a youth center in his city. The person was faithful at his church. He was sincere in his convictions. And when the attorney was asked about his giving to his church, he said, yeah, I, I give to my church. I do like most members, but I I give to that youth center because that youth center is actually changing lives. Here was a person highly motivated to give, but not highly motivated to give to his church. He was not convinced that his church was really changing lives, saving lives. Too often, we in the church have not talked often enough about money and how our money here is indeed changing lives. We are changing lives. Jesus wants us to get it right. Jesus wants salvation to come to our lives. Salvation is about space and life. We receive it so freely from God. We're expected to respond with generosity, with commitment. The church's work is about changing lives. This church's work is about changing lives, saving lives. My life, your life, our children's lives, our young people's lives, our VCU ministry students' lives, the people who come on Monday's lives, the people who spend the night in our church or benefit from our gifts, changing lives. The people who benefit from our partnerships, it's about changing lives. All of our energy is for compassion and justice on these streets. Our efforts and our work in Malawi or Guatemala and wherever we are called to go, we are indeed changing lives together. We seek to worship and we seek to serve. We seek to bear God's light in this city And we seek to go into our jobs, into our places of work, into the associations that we have, into the streets, into the world, working for wholeness and hope. That's each of our calling and our calling corporately together. It's about changing life, our lives, others' lives, the world's life. We can only do it as we do it together. So may God bless us with a fresh sense of salvation and may we be so moved to deeper commitments and faithfulness following Jesus Christ our Lord. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. Move us, Lord, by your powerful spirit.
toward the ways of salvation following Jesus. Amen.